Greetings, this is Christina Cantrell from the National Writing Project, and I'm with uh, the Katie's, uh, Katie Klein and Katie McKay. Um, we're here um, at uh, National Writing Project Resource Development Retreat. So we're all developing resources that will soon be shared at the current educatorinnovator.org. And um, Katie and Katie are working to share some of the work they've done as part of their LRG Innovators grants. So let me just turn it over to them so they can introduce themselves and also tell us just a little bit about their projects. I'm Katie McKay and I co-direct the Heart of Texas Writing Project at the University of Texas at Austin. And our LRNG grant was this past year, 2017-2018 school year. And our challenge was to connect students' out-of-school interests with their in-school work. And we, um, I work together with a team of six elementary school teachers from Bastrop, Texas, which is about 45 minutes east of Austin as a rural um, district in um, East Central Texas. And our teachers designed, implemented, and documented units of study that culminated in publication outside of the school. So each of the six teachers did one unit that ended in local publication in community spaces like libraries or parks or museums. And the second semester they published digitally. And those digital publications made their way to either local websites or national websites for sure. Great. And I'm Katie Klein. I direct the Greater Kansas City Writing Project in Kansas City. And um, our LRNG project was the Kansas City Storytellers, which brings together um, high school students to share stories with each other, the goal of which is to break down the divisive barriers in our community, like race. Mm -hmm. um, and we received our grant in 2016, so we're actually entering our third year of this program. and. Um, our initial grant through LRNG was really about connecting the community to the work that we're doing. Great, great. You guys are, are um, you must be writing about it because you can speak really well about it. <laughs> <laughs> we are writing about it. Yes, yes, yes great. Um, so um, I just wanted to give a little background to LRNG innovators for those folks who haven't, don't really know this work. So for the past, um, uh, several years, um, the National Writing Project, with support from um, John Legend's Show Me campaign, as well as the MacArthur Foundation, and also a nonprofit called Collective Shift, have been um, supporting. Um, there were three rounds of LRN LRNG Innovator challenges, and all of these challenges emerged from colleagues of ours, um, both folks who worked inside of schools and outside of schools, who were thinking about how to design for connected learning in their own context and for youth to really tie their interests to opportunities to make and create and connect to larger networks, um, whether academic or community or um, career. And um, they were thinking about this work and named some of the major challenges in this work, right? So the, the, the three rounds of grants, each was organized around three of the primary challenges that emerged. So, um, Katie, yours was that challenge of connecting inside of school and outside of school. Um, yours was more related to really tapping and designing around youth interests. Of course, all of these overlap and are interconnected, and all these pieces are, you know, inherently um, connected. So, what's what's really exciting is that we now have over thirty 
um, design examples of, of ways that this work, different ways that this work can look like in very, very different contexts. And just from the get-go, you're working with some of the youngest learners, you know, uh, kindergarten to third grade, I think. To third grade, yeah. yeah. And you're working primarily with high school mm -hmm. students, right? So even that um, across ages and, um, and different contexts. So it's been really exciting for me to have the opportunity to look across these grants and really see some of the sort of core themes that keep, uh, that are emerging across them. What are we learning about this work? And then, um, so I wanted to invite, I know that you, um, at this retreat, we had opportunities to do interpretive circles. And so yesterday you guys had a, an opportunity to do an interpretive circle together. And that there was an interesting conversation that I feel like could be really valuable to kind of talk through a bit. So I wasn't there, but my understanding is that it's really um, was around uh, youth going public with their work. And as writing project educators, I think we, many of us bring a real commitment to creating authentic audiences and meaningful opportunities for youth to um, share their work out in the world. Um, and I also have been hearing, as you guys talk across your work, other purposes that going public with work and for youth having this opportunity, other purposes that emerge and that, that, that this serves. So maybe we could talk about those too, because I feel like they're sort of not often represented mm -hmm. in the conversations around this. Yeah, you want me to go first? Sure. So um, I think uh, for me, what's sort of crystallized in our interpretive circle, mm -hmm. and then actually in another space earlier this morning was, um, you know, we are bringing students and their personal stories on stage and bringing a community, inviting our community in to hear those stories and be a part of the work of building community. Mm -hmm. um, but we really recognized our responsibility of, like we're putting students on stage mm -hmm. and we have not spent a lot of time on craft. Mm -hmm. um, and we imagined that our audience who was coming to a storytelling exhibition might be expecting well-crafted stories mm -hmm. um, but we were driven through this project we were driven by our purpose uh, all of us the students themselves uh -huh. um, of of writing and sharing stories with each other to build community that right, was right, the purpose right. and so we we didn't clean up and polish mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. um, the raw story is actually what made us lean in closer um, and get to know each other, and we wanted that same experience with an audience. So, um, but we also felt really responsible for helping an audience hear those stories yeah. um, with that same purpose in mind. Hmm. Um, and so, um, we we did a lot of work as a leadership team, and we worked with our students to figure out what are the things we need to do to prepare an audience right. to hear these stories the way they should be heard. Mm -hmm. And that is without judgment and without looking for something polished and instead figuring out how the story enters me and changes our community together. Those must have been powerful conversations, I imagine. Really powerful <laughs> conversations. Yeah, it kind of gives me chills like yeah. as I think through some of some of that work we did. Yeah, cool. There's a lot of similarities between mm -hmm. our projects where obviously, like we said, our we were giving authentic audience for our students, which 
we, I think a lot of us as a National Writing Project community have talked for a long time about uh, the motivating reasons for that and the, the deep um, research-based pedagogy um, and how that's related to um, creating and growing strong writers. And we, we all, in our project, we also ended up finding these additional goals, you know, in the context of Title I schools where a lot of scripted curriculum has mm -hmm. become um, the mainstay. Um, they, we found that through sharing student work, um, that was, ours was not completely raw. We had spent weeks doing the best that we could, but we really wanted the students to have ownership of that work. So it wasn't always mm -hmm. completely polished by the time it made it to the audience. But we did that intentionally because we felt that this other purpose that kept arising was educating the audience about what good writing instruction looks like. Mm -hmm. And that is student-owned and student-centered and based on their interests right. and their knowledge and their growth. And so if our hands were on it and we did so much heavy editing or if the we were teaching, like Lucy Coffin says, the um, if we started teaching the writer, the writing instead of the writer, mm -hmm. that, that then it was our work and our voice that was out there in the community. So we had to do some things also really intentionally to educate our audience about um, why we made those choices. So like maybe having a, a sign next to kindergartners ABC books displayed at the library that quoted the research behind the importance of invented spelling for cognitive development in, in young writers. Um, or uh, with another kindergarten group, they, a lot of their writing was in the form of drawings. And so the kindergarten teacher said, well, the audience isn't going to know the story that I knew, that I got to hear them say. So we recorded students' voices and had a QR code so that while you looked at the drawing, you could also hear the student's voice. And then that, mm -hmm. and the intention of their story, even though the child wasn't there with them, the audience could have that intention. So in the end, our purpose was really a lot of like what you said your purposes were was, um, well, I mean, you your purpose was community building community, but what you had to do in order to build community first is you had to educate your audience about how to receive those stories, and I think we had to we had to do that too. Um, I wrote down what you said was helping the audience hear those stories, mm -hmm. and I think that there's some um, which I was talking to Judy Buchanan yesterday, and yeah. we were talking about the need to re-educate um, even our colleagues and our administrators, parents, community organizations about what process, project-based writing looks like because it's um, been marginalized in a lot of our schools. Right, right. Um, yeah, I can hear Judy talking about, you know, with the youngest learners, how drawing and inventive spelling is such an important part and yet often is not seen. Mm -hmm. and, and, and how we have to start to re-see that. So what, how valuable this is for all of us. It takes a trained eye to look with an appreciative lens at writing because mm -hmm. so many of us have learned to write through this idea of looking only at the grammar and the spelling and the conventions. And so those quote unquote mistakes might st stand out to us and distract us from the original intention of the writer. And right. so we have to train our eyes as teachers and also help our audience train their eyes in that way to see the original intention of the, of the author. I think it's a real, I mean, one of the conversations we had earlier this morning is the social justice aspect mm -hmm. of this work. If teachers are the gatekeepers before students go public, and most teachers represent a, a, particularly, a particular class and race mm -hmm. um, that their students do not, then the gatekeepers are really not allowing the English 
learners to be heard, or the students who are recent immigrants, or um, so I, I think there's a real social justice aspect to the work of making sure we still allow students to go public without being polished and representing sort of an audience's expectation mm -hmm. if that audience is um, relying on misconceptions of, of what writing should look like. So, I think that's so important, and I'm wondering, I mean, both of you are in leadership positions at your site, running a site, you know, what, where, where do you start? Like, how, how, how has this become part of your practice at your site, or, or has it, or, like, are you sort of, what does, what does it make you think about in terms of working together as writing project teachers? For me, it's a lot of my work, um, and when I'm when I'm presenting at a multilingual conference, or if I'm presenting at a primary conference, that mm -hmm. that's our main theme of the day. I still sometimes do the whole day through that lens of foregrounding audience and purpose, mm -hmm. and and trying to work with teachers to first think about that. Let's first just you know figure out like what are some potential dates. And, and, and events and places where this work might go so that that can then, we can just tag everything else or attach everything else to that as we, as we head toward it. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily completely known, but just like imagining that this work that we're helping kids to create is gonna go somewhere else other than in my file or for my grade book. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that, that even when we go out into schools, it's become more of our conversation, and as we train teachers, and we can we do consulting in schools, and then of course when when teachers come to us at UT, I think it's it's become a big a big part. It's always been a part of the conversation, but there's something about starting mm -hmm. with that part. I, as I've looked at a lot of books about writing workshop, there's often a final chapter about your publication party and your audience. Mm. And to me, it seems that maybe that chapter needs to come first. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a tough question for yeah. us. That's interesting to hear you say that because it's very true. Like, it was when we brought a group of teachers together, we had this idea of creating a story slam. And here's how we thought it was going to go. We, so we had the story slam idea, and we had written goal, and the, we, you know, the goal of building community. But when you put those two things together, it was clear they didn't work. The story uh -huh. slam re requires storytellers who are competing against each other, who have polished pieces. So we eventually yeah. had to abandon yeah. that notion of a story slam in order to honor our purpose. And then that really changed then, well, what's it going to look like when we put them on stage? Um, and um, in some ways, uh, um, it was a hard-won battle with mm -hmm. teachers in the room um, because teachers uh, the teachers among us were really committed to this idea of, I know how to help t these students become better storytellers. Yeah. That's what they knew how to do, and that's what they wanted to do. Um, so there were some people on the leadership team who were saying, it's okay, we can let this go. Um, we can prepare the audience mm -hmm. so that this awful thing doesn't happen that some of the teachers were imagining would happen. Um, so. I don't know how we do it. I just know that it's it's not it's messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that I was I was thinking about 
what we're both saying then really is that we need to make more public the process. The yeah. messy part. Right. To the idea of publication in our minds is something that has been vetted and polished and edited and is in this certain shape that looks conventional and in some ways looks homogeneous, right? Like in, a, yeah. in some ways it's like so much like other things you've seen before that you have to look deep to find how it's different. But if we we're making more public the process, mm -hmm. then we're also making more public the individual original piece of the, of the author. That's true. And do you think that this is easier for students these days who are used to? Mm -hmm. I mean, for many of us, like putting things out there online or digitally feels like publication, yeah. whereas for our students, it doesn't have that connotation of publication. So, I wonder if some of it is a, a generational gap as well. I think so. I think that some of our students might be more ready for some of this type of sharing of in-process work because of growing up in a quick, a quick share type of mm -hmm. um, environment. Yeah, I noticed in, um, I feel like I, I remember when blogging became a real Thing. I remember learning so much about watching bloggers, and I was like, all oh, right, this is not, it's, it's like in-process work. It's mm -hmm. a lot of in-process thought, it's, mm -hmm. and it's meant to support dialogue among people, like right. bloggers with dialogue with other bloggers through their blog. <laughs> right. And it wasn't these sort of like finished pieces that then, you know, um, Anyway, I, I feel like it's the, the, we are in an environment where these these like the styles and intentions and purpose, the context for writing has shifted mm -hmm. and can shift in different ways. Um, and I mean, it's probably always true that the context and purpose is you know, but um, but now dynamically, you know, even more dynamically sometimes and at greater distance, we can do this stuff too. So that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, well, in the last interview that I did with. Um, um, the previous, um, I talked with Ellen Shelton and then um, Sandra and uh, Angela from Albemarle County about their work, and we were talking about this, the role that, um, I mean you guys have talked about this, but that role of sort of stepping back from like what you've been trained to do as a teacher, <laughs> and really sort of thinking like, okay, wait, how do I, how do I provide supportive and, and useful scaffold and frame, yet not control this thing, <laughs> and that how, how that really is an exercise in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to give away your, your resource that you're making, um, but you were talking about how you're like sort of unschooling things right. a little bit, right? That yeah. sort of dialogue. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Or? Um, yeah, I guess. the Again, being driven by this purpose of building community is, yeah. is, is not unformed to teachers. We're used to building community, mm -hmm. community in the classroom, but usually it's in service of something else. So we build community so that I can engage my students and then help them learn about volcanoes, or, mm -hmm. um, or we build community so that when we share writing, people feel more comfortable. Um, but to have community building as the end game yeah. is not something we're used to doing as teachers, and so um, often in our planning, you know, we would create something on the agenda that felt very much like school, and someone would be like, whoa, this can't be like school. Yeah. Um, we need to take that out, and um, 
we're just, I don't think as teachers we have a lot of opportunities yeah. to design something that's not for school. And in this kind of a project, it's really important that it not be like school, because in school, certain people are marginalized, certain students are marginalized, and if we're gonna create an equal playing field where we build community together, then we can't be marginalizing students. Yeah, and that's what happens in the school process. Yeah. Um, we were talking in the last conversation, too, about how it was so important to do this work as peers, mm -hmm. that, that um, both our colleagues, and both of you worked with teams of colleagues on this work, um, and then how the youth also supporting the, each other as peers in the process, mm -hmm. um, that that felt like a really important piece of it. Um, from the student perspective, did, were you seeing also then, like was this new to them? Did they feel like this was hard or, you know, or well, different? One, one thing, I don't know if this is exactly answering your question, but one thing I'll always remember was walking into a kindergartner, bilingual kindergarten classroom toward the end of the year and they were finishing up their libros informativos and I was there to help start videotaping and documenting those. And when I saw the books, even after all the work I'd done with these teachers and all the faith I had in them, I, for a moment, I questioned that, like, how heavy-handed the teacher had been because the books were so amazing. And I thought, like, this is kindergarten's work? Like, I, I kind of questioned her. I said, well, did you have a color one at a time or whatever? And then she, she kind of looked at me like, no, you know? And, I, and, and then I went and sat at the table while they got settled and everything and got started with their workshop, and I started watching. And I just, of course I know this can happen. This is what we tell teachers can happen all the time, but just still how amazed I was again at how independent. She, mm -hmm. both of the adults could have left the room and, and work, workshop would have continued to run exactly as it should. Yeah. And teachers and kids were not in their seats. They were mm -hmm. in other places in the room. They were working in groups. They were talking to each other. They were helping each other. Everyone was, what we would say, you know, on task. They were all working on their piece. They were all very motivated. And the amount of talk in the room was, um, it was so fascinating to see how much talk and writing could coexist and not, be, you know, it wasn't like, never was one distracting from the other. Mm -hmm. um, That's really, I mean, uh, just in case any of the storytellers from this year are watching this video, <laughs> um, I want to add this, and because you reminded me of, um, how wonderful the stories were on stage. So mm -hmm. when I talked earlier, I acted like, you know, they were super raw, we hadn't crafted them. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> and they yeah, were, were amazing. <laughs> and people in the audience cried, and we all had chills, and mm. like the magic happened. Um, yeah. With teachers stepping back and not yeah. being the experts and not and being able to shed their teacher skin, which was really hard for all of us. Yeah. Um, but we did it and the stories were raw, and we did need to prepare an audience, and we were blown away by how wonderful they were. Yeah. So awesome. thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to end, actually. So thank you so much for your great work, and thanks all the kids for their great work. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, check out thecurrent.educatorinnovator.org. For, to see the resources they're putting together, and uh, super excited to have this chance to work with you guys. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.